Good morning, Arbor Church. It is Sounders Championship Sunday. Yes, I'm glad to hear some Sounders fans in the house. We'll be celebrating Seahawks tomorrow as they give the 49ers their first loss. But but today we are going to celebrate a Sounders victory over Toronto FC, hopefully, and get our second MLS Cup in four years. Pretty impressive, right? So those they always trip me out, though. I always get like the beginning of the season, I'm like, I'm done with them. They can't do anything right. And then they always turn it on at the end of the season. So I'm hoping that today is a great game. Um, I hope that you're all here early because the game starts at 12. So I'm going to try to be done at 11.59 today. And book, I'm just teasing. I got a friend that's kind enough to record it for me and wait for me to get there to start it. But I'm excited to be here today with you as we continue our series on baggage the things in life that we kind of put onto ourselves and carry around with us that weigh us down, maybe not physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And as we continue this important series of how do we throw off all those things that hinder us and how do we put away with it, as our key verse in Hebrew says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us, Hebrews 12.1. The idea of running this race that's set before us is hard enough. Life is difficult enough without putting baggage on us. And today I want to jump into one of the baggage things that I think claim more people than they realize. And that is the baggage of resentment. This idea of resentment inside of your heart towards a person or a thing. The idea of resentment towards a particular situation, a people group, or whatever it is. Because resentment is this feeling of displeasure or indignation at some act. I experienced one of my first deepest feelings of resentment um, right around the time I was 14 going on 15. My dad had bought years ago a Willie's Jeep. You may have heard part of the story before. If you don't know what a Willie's Jeep is, it is a true Jeep. It is a beast. It doesn't go faster than maybe 45 miles an hour because it's geared so low to pull things. It's a work truck. And he had bought a Willys Jeep, and he had restored it. New engine, new body, buffing out the um, rust places, put these big old gnarly tires on it. And really the only place it went was around town with me and my brothers and my dad in this Jeep or up to the mountains when we'd go logging and we'd cut down trees and cut the trees up because we burned wood with our wood stoves to stay warm. And I remember one year, this tree fell down and got stuck in the mud. And people were trying to pull it out with their trucks and everything, and my dad backed that Woolies Jeep up there, put it down into not first gear, but it had this gear called granny gear. It is low torque. Threw it into four low, and that tree just popped right out of the mud. And it was that day I fell in love with that Willie's Jeep. And I'm like, oh man, in four years, I'm going to be able to be driving this Jeep. I'm going to be so excited. Well, in Montana, you can get your driver's license when you're 14. And in Idaho, you can get your driver's license when you're 14. And I think I just said Montana. I was living in Idaho at the time. And at 14, I got my driver's license. I was really excited. My dad's like, you're not driving the Willie's. You got to prove to me you're a safe driver. And I was really getting geared up for it. And a few weeks later, I came home and the Willie's was gone. My dad sold it. Sold it. Yeah, see, that was bitter. I was not happy. I'm like, that was my truck. That was my Jeep. Because it wasn't yours. <laughs> you didn't put anything into this. And it got sold. And he bought me my first car, though. And it was a Dodge Omni. <laughs> that is not a Willie's Jeep, friends. 
A Dodge Omni can do nothing of pulling anything out or go four-wheeling or do any of the fun things that I wanted to do. A Dodge Omni did go fast, all right? But that was about it. It was a little whippersnapper of a car, and I did not get my Willie's Jeep. I think my dad's reasoning proved out later when I took his pickup truck out for it one night and drove it into a ditch and busted the front axle. So I think the whole thing played out the way it should have. But the idea is that this little resentment set in me, and I was mad about that for a long time. Now, I make light of that because that's just a small scenario. But I think for many of us, we can think of things in our life where resentment has creeped in. Oftentimes, it's an act or a remark done by somebody. It's usually regarded as causing an injury or an insult to us. It's a bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. The feeling can be caused by several different situations. However, they all involve a sense of injustice, injustice or wrongdoing from an individual or a group of people, real or perceived. For example, public humiliation, constant discrimination or prejudice, being taken advantage of, feeling unrecognized, envy or jealousy can all result in resentment. It can lead to feelings of bitterness, disdain, or contempt. And oftentimes, our resentment is rooted in some true, true trauma, abuse, and flat-out evil that may have been done to us. Sometimes resentment can last for years. It can be strong and hard to pull out like an old, gnarled tree root. While resentment over being wrong can come from just one act against you, it can also get stronger over time, as in your growing resentment might just come from the fact that the team captain always picks you last. Or it could be as serious as years and years of abuse. It can also come from misunderstandings, like feeling resentment over a dirty look you thought was directed at you, but really wasn't. It's usually best to root out resentment early because if left unchecked, it can lead, like I said, to bitterness, disdain, or contempt, and contempt being the worst. It can build insurmountable walls in our lives and relationships that rob us of our joy. Worse, it can lead to bias, prejudice, racism, or hate. A little feeling called resentment that left unchecked can become an enormous baggage in your life and a barrier in you living the fullness and running the race fully like Christ wants you to. Let's pray. God, I pray as we delve into this uh, message on resentment today, Lord, that you would move me out of the way. I pray that we would look deeper at our resentment than just not getting into Willie's Jeep when you're 14, God. I pray that you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and then feet and hands that want to go take action with what you tell us today, Lord. In your name, amen. In Hebrews 12, 15, our first verse we're going to look at here, it says this. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. As I said, that's our focus today, the heavy baggage of resentment. And what this verse is saying in Hebrews to us is that as long as we carry this baggage of resentment, we're going to fall short of our goal. And the goal in life when it says to run the race is to live in the grace of God, to exemplify the grace of God, to model the grace of God to a world that is lost and does not deserve it from him, let alone from us in times. Because if we don't, it will cause trouble. 
And I like in Hebrews where it says it will defile many because your resentment will begin to affect people around you intentionally or unintentionally. So we're going to look at the story of Onesimus and Philemon, one of the shortest books in the Bible. There's a lot in the story of Onesimus and Philemon that is untold. We don't know. A lot of theologians and historians have tried to fill in the gaps, but I'll do my best by starting with the story. It's a dark, rainy night. A man sits by his desk, going over his letters, sorting out his bills, when there's a knock at the door. The house is quiet, because most people in the house have retired and gone to sleep. So as he walks to the door, he's wondering who could be coming at this late hour. He opens the door, and standing in the entryway is a person he thought he'd never see again. Frankly, a person he hoped he'd never see again. It was a former slave. A former slave by the name of Onesimus, who could barely look him in the eyes it simply reached out and handed him a rolled parchment paper. Sealed and delivered by a man who, years earlier, had disappeared, had stolen, left, and not to be found. And now he's standing on his porch Philemon had every legal right to call the authorities, had every legal right to have Onesimus arrested, punished, imprisoned. Yet I think Onesimus said something that gave him pause, and he says, I have a letter from Paul. Paul. Paul, Philemon's spiritual father, the founder of the church in Ephesus where Philemon lived. How did this Onesimus come to meet Paul? What was this odd connection, this bizarre set of events that led him back to my doorstep? He grabbed the paper. Surely he didn't mean Paul the apostle. So Philemon closed the door, did not invite Onesimus in, and went to sit and read this letter from Paul. And while it is a brief letter, I feel it's one of the most profound letters you'll ever read. And we get the privilege of looking over Philemon's shoulder and reading what Paul told him that echoes through the centuries to us today. And it's rooted in forgiveness, resentment, redemption, renewal, everything that's good and right about Jesus. Let's look as we uh, read over the candlelight with Philemon. The letter begins, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Epiphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're getting a background taste of who this is. See, Philemon the church in Ephesus met in his very home. He was a trusted leader in the community, respected, rich, would put up and take care of Paul and the missionaries when they came through town. 
I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us, Philemon, and the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. As we continue to read through this, there's a pattern that emerges in these letters. It's a pattern of how to respond to resentment because Paul knew, I am sending back Onesimus to a situation that is one, difficult for Onesimus, difficult for Philemon, and it's a difficult thing for me to ask because there's resentment and bitterness that's involved in this relationship on both ends. And so the first thing that Paul realizes he has to do And the first thing that I would tell you you need to do if you have a resentment in your heart is what Paul does in this opening salutation and that's remember our relationship with Christ. You cannot tackle resentment if you don't remember your relationship with Christ. Much like when I was growing up and I'd get in a fight with my brothers and it would start out, you know, innocent in just a wrestling match, you know, WWE, Hulk Hogan versus Rowdy Roddy Piper or something, jumping from the top bed rail onto the floor to my brothers, hitting each other with pillows. And as soon as, you know, things got a little bit more out of control, got a little more heated, a little more escalated, and pretty soon fisticuffs were flying. And my dad would come in the room, pull us apart, and my mom and sit us down, and why are you guys, oh, why does everything turn into a fight? Why do you, why? and I remember once my dad said, why do you hate your brothers? And I'm like, because they're stupid. Because they're so mean to me, my little brother would say. And Mark would say, they just have a temper and they don't know how to control it. And he'd look at us and he'd say, do you not know your brothers? Your brothers, you love each other. You got each other's back. You've got to be there for each other. He would always remind us, family first. Someone comes after a brother, you're there. You got it. He would remind us of the relationship and the power of that relationship. And that if we did all this bitterness and bickering all the time, it would undermine that for years to come. And Paul's doing the same thing here. He's reminding Philemon of his relationship with Christ. He says, "When I want you to deepen your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. I believe that often our understanding of Christ and our relationship with him is clouded by resentment. But it is given clarity by remembering that we are in Christ and what he has done for us. That we are no longer slaves ourselves, but we are redeemed in him. We are to live and reflect his attributes, characteristics, and behaviors, including our response to being wrong, betrayed, hurt, abused, or falsely accused. He says in here, I want you to be refreshed and continue to refresh the hearts of the people. Philemon, I'm going to ask you to do something because of who I know you are in Christ and because of your relationship with Christ and because of not only what Christ has done for you, but what I've done for you, and now I'm asking you to do something because your relationship in Christ demands that we do this. It needs to do this because if it doesn't, it will be a barrier and a wall. Response one is remember our relationship with Christ. We read on in Philemon. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. 
It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. Pause. I can't imagine what Philemon's feeling at this point. Hold on a second. You just, you just called Onesimus your son. I'm your son, Paul. I'm your spiritual son that's holding this church together in Ephesus, and you haven't been back for years. I'm delivering the letters that you wrote to share and lead the flock here. I'm keeping this thing moving along. You are my spiritual father. This guy stole from me. Either Philemon kicked him out or he ran away, one of the two, but somehow he ended up in Rome in jail for something he did wrong. And now you're telling me he's a son? I can't imagine what's going on inside of him. He says, formerly he was useless to you. Yeah, he was useless. He stole from me. He betrayed the trust. But now he's useful to you, Paul? Have you ever felt that way about a situation, a person, a circumstance? There's just no justice. It doesn't seem fair at all. It's nothing right about it. They were wrong and 100% wrong. Probably. Maybe so. And maybe Onesimus was 100% wrong. A lot of tradition and history says that he was. But Philemon was wrong on some things too. I am sending him, listen to these phrases. I am sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that you could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but to be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Forever? Separated for a little while. It wasn't my choice. Maybe part of it. That you'd have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. The second thing Paul is asking Philemon to do here in in dealing with his resentment is to refocus our view of the person. Refocus our view of the person. Slavery was a cultural way of life, does not make it right. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. I imagine somewhere along the way, Onesimus began to have these doubts that this is such a great man. He calls himself a religious man, yet he has slaves. And maybe Onesimus reached his breaking point in one night, stole some items, just enough to get out and get on the road and ran away. I'm speculating, but maybe he got away. Maybe he escaped and he left. And Philemon was embarrassed and humiliated that a slave got away from him. And maybe he tried to find him. Maybe he tried to capture him again. I don't know. But somehow Onesimus ended up in Rome thinking he was free as a slave. I'd escaped. I've gotten away. Maybe Philemon did banish him and tell him to leave. But in the end, Onesimus is walking around in Rome thinking he's free as a slave. He's no longer in chains and he encounters Paul. A man who is in chains talking about being free. And Onesimus' mind when Paul starts talking to him about forgiveness says, don't talk to me about forgiveness. You've never been a slave. You've never been held against your will. You've never been beat. 
You've never not had the right to own anything, to be treated as a human. See, I never think, I don't think Philemon ever stopped to pause and think about all that it was Onesimus was being asked to forgive in Philemon. Philemon had a right to be upset, but did not Onesimus in this context, in this story. Refocus our views of the person. Here's some statements that Paul uses. My son Onesimus, he's become useful both to you and me. He is my very heart. Treat him better than a slave. Treat him as a dear brother. What exactly is Paul saying about Onesimus? Does he know about the hurt and the betrayal, the anger that might have caused Philemon? Understand the impact of these words and what Paul is truly asking Philemon to do. Not only receive Onesimus back into his home and life, but to refocus his perception and his view of Onesimus. That, my friends, is easier said than done. Yet think of how Christ views us. We are heirs to his riches, sons and daughters for eternity, for nothing we ever did to deserve it. Think of the prodigal son come home, another great story of resentment, redemption, and forgiveness. See, the older brother in that story that often goes unforeseen when the prodigal son comes home, you know the story, the father jumps off the porch and hugs him into his arms and loves him and celebrates and the older son refuses to go because he's resentful. I've been here all along. I never get a party. And the father looks at him and says, oh, but you will always be partaking with me because you have forever been with me. But I have lost one. He's come back. That's what I'm celebrating. See, I do not want to make light of the fact that in this room, I don't know everybody's story. Some of you have been wronged deeply some of you have had trauma in your life that there's no doubt about the wrongness and who was wrong. And that you did nothing to deserve that. I'm not asking an easy task to refocus your perception of that person because the perception of what they did was evil and wrong and will always be evil and wrong. What I'm asking is when Christ hung on the cross and he looked down on the people crucifying him and the soldiers mocking him and the people shouting at him and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Hold it up, Scott. Stop right there. This person knew what they were doing. They knew every day what they were doing. I've told you a few stories before about kids I've worked with. I worked with a student that I'll just call Troy. Troy. Troy ended up at uh, my school, and I became a guardian ad litem for him back in Montana. Because see, when Troy was uh, eight, his father squirted him with lighter fluid and threw a match on him. There's nothing wrong that a child does to deserve that. No amount of screaming, yelling, arguing, breaking things, whatever. That, there's, that's evil. That's pure evil. When Troy got to me, he was 13. Radically enough or not, the courts deemed it necessary for visitation rights to be set up with the dad again. I argued against that. It didn't happen, but it stirred up all this trauma in Troy. And he looked at me once, he said, I know that I went to church one time, Scott, and you talked about forgiveness. He goes, but I can't forgive my dad because what he did was wrong. And guys, I, don't, I didn't have an answer. Because he's right, it was wrong. It was evil. 
But it's when I read this book of Philemon that I could look at you and I could say this. I'm not asking you to forgive your father of the wrong that he did to you. I'm asking you to empty your heart and cleanse your heart of the bitterness and resentment that's sitting in the near that won't allow you to be fully who you are to be. He didn't do that, but that's okay because I don't know where he is now. But I'm only sharing that story to share with you is that I don't pretend to think that what I'm preaching about today is just some lighthearted resentment that happened between you and a spouse or you and a child or you and a friend where you've been mad at each other because you both wore the same dress to homecoming or because he dated your ex-girlfriend or because somebody did whatever. I'm trying to paint the weight of what Paul is asking Onesimus to do in the culture of what they're leading. See, Paul is requesting, beseeching, almost rebuking, all in love for Philemon to accept Onesimus back. He's also sending Onesimus to seek restoration. The hope for restoration and renewal of a new relationship, one of brothers, not of slave and owner. For Philemon to see Onesimus not as a runaway, a thief, or less than, but as a child of God, a brother in the ministry, and one who is useful, valued, and worthwhile. The next few verses point us out to our next slide and our next step, which is respond with forgiveness. Respond with forgiveness. Let's read. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. There's some key phrases in here I want to pull attention to. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Charge it to me. I will pay it back. You owe me your very self. Refresh my heart in Christ. But it's centered on this thing of where Paul is saying to Philemon, but I do not want to do anything without your consent back up in verse 14. I do not want to coerce you. I don't want it to be forced. I want it to be voluntary. Paul is asking Philemon, I'm asking you to forgive as you have been forgiven. Let's go over some things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. Forgiveness is not saying what happened was not wrong. Forgiveness is not agreeing with all the details of what happened. Forgiveness is not forsaking your pain and heart. Forgiveness is not necessarily trusting the person again, if ever. Forgiveness is not having the same relationship you did before, if any at all. Forgiveness oftentimes has nothing to do with the other person, but it has to do with yourself. Because this is where resentment sits. This is where bitterness resides. This is where the wall gets built. And whatever justification you have for building it, I will not argue your justification because that's your story. That's your right. All I know is that I served a Savior that for nothing he did wrong, died on a cross and put his arms out wide and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that echoed across the centuries to me today. And it resounds inside of us. Forgiveness is, however, allowing yourself to see the person as Christ would see them. 
Releasing the pain, hurt, or trauma caused you by another. You're releasing it from yourself. You're not releasing them from what they did, but the power that that hurt and trauma has over you. Forgiveness is recognizing the power resentment and bitterness has in your life. It is understanding that you were forgiven for much as well. It is knowing it does not make things equal and fair, but it gives you freedom. Most importantly, forgiveness cannot be coerced, forced, or manipulated. It must be authentic and a choice made by you and you only. Why is Paul concerned that Philemon not be pressured into this decision? Paul understands that Philemon may perceive him as exploiting the relationship to Onesimus' unfair advantage. Paul's intention is to maintain Philemon's honor. The condition that the favor is that to be spontaneous and not forced. It must be an act of worship. See, Philemon's heard this before from Paul because when Paul wrote the church in Ephesus, which meets in Philemon's home, he wrote in Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. This was not new to Philemon. The only difference is that now it was personal. Now it was real. Now he was sitting at a desk, reading a parchment paper, written by Paul himself, and Onesimus was standing outside the front door. Maybe you're there today. Maybe you've been there in the past. When you've truly been encountered with your belief about forgiveness and the reality of putting it into action. And maybe you walked away from it. And maybe you're carrying that with you today. And maybe you've taken that and you've tucked it nice and neat down deep in the backpack where it doesn't shift around, it doesn't throw off your balance very much, and you think you got it covered. I'm telling you, you're lying to yourself. Because resentment has a way of creeping into other corners of our life and warping our perceptions and our interactions and our relationships. And most importantly, it gets between you and Christ because Christ carries no resentment. He carries no disdain and contempt towards people, towards sin and behaviors and actions, but not towards people. See, Jesus had it even more strict than Paul because Jesus told his apostles in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. See, that's one of those verses I don't like in the Bible. It's a little too heavy, a little too direct. I'm sorry that you grow weary of my normal stories in life, but I go back to my dad again that many of you have known about. When my dad left my family, I was much older. I was married, had a child of my own. And really, I didn't deal with my dad's situation for a while. But I was sitting in chapel at the camp I ran one night as the youth speaker for high school week was speaking to all the high schoolers about releasing and seeking forgiveness and the power of forgiveness in their lives to those that have wronged you. And it broke me that night. I had to let somebody else dismiss the kids. I had to let somebody else go run the game. I could not get out of the back row of that chapel because I was broken knowing that God was telling me, you need to forgive your dad. 
And I can't go into all the perfect reasons I had for not forgiving my dad. But there was plenty of them. He did some pretty awful things. But in the end, I got on my knees that night and I said, God, I will forgive my dad. I'm not excusing what he did, but I will forgive him and I will not allow his behavior, his choices to be a seed of bitterness in my life and a barrier between a relationship with him moving forward. It's not been easy. My dad and I are close, but we're not as close as I would like to be. We have a relationship, but it's distant. We strive to stay in touch, but it's awkward. But I love my dad. I have forgiven my dad. Years later, I had to face the same decision walking through a divorce. It's not been easy, folks. But I'm at a place now where I don't have resentment. I don't have bitterness and, forg- and anger over that. I have hurt. I have loss. And I'm not saying that when you forgive, you justify the behavior. It's releasing yourself. See, the secret is this, my final thought with you today. We have a missionary, a runaway slave, and a rich church leader. In Onesimus, we have a slave that may have been guilty of stealing things and running away and getting captured again. We have Philemon, a Christian man who Paul was saying, no longer are you looking at people as slave and non-slave. But the irony to me is that you have a prisoner in Onesimus who was sent back to the place that he once was a slave to go back into that to seek forgiveness himself. And what Onesimus found out is what we all need to find out. And that is this. To forgive is to set the prisoner free. Then realize you were the prisoner all along. To forgive is to set the prisoner free then realize you were the prisoner all along. Do not let the evil, wrongdoing, hurt, and pain others have brought into your life to sit as bitterness and resentment in your heart. You gotta give it to God, and then you need to go and try to make it right. For some of you, there's no need to go make it right because maybe that evil has been done away with and put away. But you need to make it right with you and God somehow. So I ask you this, are you carrying the baggage of resentment? Who do you need to forgive? From whom do you need to seek forgiveness for maybe some things you've done? We can learn a lot from this brief yet powerful letter. The real test is if we put what we have learned into action. Perhaps you think you are free but really still in chains a slave to something or someone in your past. Today, you can be truly free by allowing the example of our Savior Jesus and beginning the journey towards forgiveness. I believe that Philemon got up from that desk, walked over to that door and opened it and welcomed Onesimus in. Some historians point to the fact that there was a bishop years later in Ephesus named Onesimus. Did Onesimus really rise to the place of being the pastor and the bishop of Ephesus? An ironic turn of events for Philemon, the founder of the church in Ephesus with Paul, 
to serve a former slave who is now the pastor. I'm not saying your story has to end up that way. I never would have made Troy go talk to his father again. There's too much trauma and danger there. But I do hope Troy talked to God someday. I do hope that he found a way out of that hurt and that trauma to find the healing and love and fullness in Christ. And that's what I'm asking you today. What have you been holding on to? What have you ignored? What have you tucked away? What seed of resentment lies there growing dormant in your life that maybe you just ignore or maybe you're fully cognizant and aware of it? This letter to Philemon is a letter to all of us. Because Christ came to seek and to save all that were lost and provide forgiveness for all. If you forgive, I forgive. If you do not forgive, how can I forgive you? Let's pray.